All right, we are back. You know, uh, we've mentioned The Economist magazine because it's so comprehensive in its coverage, even though it's very conservative, very pro-globalization, a business, certainly, oriented magazine, but they just give you a lot of information. For example, again, if you want to go back and look at the the website that we told you about in the first segment, mockelection.org, and follow what The Economist is doing on border states, you'll have a very good idea of how this election is likely to go, because they're going every issue and taking a border state and analyzing what's likely to happen. If only we got that kind of coverage in American magazines. I'm looking down in front of me of The Economist showing, uh, you know, the headline, The Dream Ticket on the cover, showing uh, Kerry and John Edwards. Then I'm comparing this to Newsweek. Now, I don't want to slam Newsweek because they're doing a heck of a job with this story about the possible postponement of the election. But the June 28th issue had on the cover, The Secrets of Spider-Man. An exclusive for Newsweek, it said, The Tangled Backstory of the Summer's Hottest Movie. I'm not sure exactly what a backstory is. I guess they meant, uh, you know, background story. But, uh, boy, does America really need six or seven pages about Spider-Man and its uh, news, ma- news weeklies? Although I did flip open the, uh, the uh, Spider-Man issue and noted that on page 13, a perennial literary mystery is being probed. Was Shakespeare a she? Uh, we're going to do a special show on the, the Shakespeare authorship question uh, in the fall. Uh, stay tuned for that. But I did note that we're having a conference of the Shakespeare Authorship Trust in London. And, of course, the latest candidate is a woman in Elizabethan England. Well, not to tip our hand, but uh, I'd put your money on the Earl of Oxford, the 17th Earl of Oxford, but uh, stay tuned for that next September. A few other miscellaneous magazines we like. Uh, Time has Michael Moore on the cover with a sort of a, you know, is this good for America? Uh, sort of slant on the Michael Morris Fahrenheit 911. You know, is this is this good for America? Is the the um, the the question mark on the Time cover? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, Smithsonian Magazine. You know, it's right up there with National Geographic. Beautiful magazine, uh, July 2004 issue. Beguiling Tikal, Mysteries of the Ancient Maya. I went to Tikal many years back, and I still remember it as one of the most memorable places I have ever seen. Articles about the uh, Hubble Telescope, and one on Cole Porter, the author of Anything Goes. And we refer you to the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, the magazine of global security news and analysis. They do some pretty doggone good work. There's an article on Judith Miller. And the New York Times' ramp-up to war, or the, the role the New York Times had in America's ramp-up to war, and uh, a rather critical evaluation of the kind of stuff we heard from Judith Miller. Now, if you've been listening to this program, you know that we've been very critical of uh, what Judith Miller had to say. So, uh, you know, for more information on this topic, we would send you to the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Jason Blair resigned in disgrace over fabricating, uh, fabricating uh, stories for the New York Times. Judith Miller is still working for the Times, even though it's now been uh, revealed that uh, her source for much of this uh, 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 scary, harrowing news about what Iraq was up to came from Ahmed Chalabi. And in many cases, it was she was unable to find any other sources to corroborate it, but she went with the story anyway. All right, joining us now from Southern California is Mr. Paul Dorn. Paul is the executive director of the California Bicycling Coalition as, and is a, is a longtime uh, KDVS listener. Good evening, Doug. How are you? 
I'm fine, Paul. Let's talk a little bit about bicycling. Okay. Uh, well, the California Bicycle Coalition is a nonprofit advocacy group, and we work to influence government policy to uh, provide better accommodation for bicycles on our roads. Um, we, we present bicycling as a solution to many of the challenges that are confronting California, things like traffic congestion and air quality and obesity and energy use. We think that if more people took more of their trips by bicycle, a lot of those problems would start to uh, get a little better. Well, Paul, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I think in Davis you probably have a very receptive audience to that viewpoint. How, how is that selling it to places like Los Angeles? <laughs> Well, surprisingly, I, you know, I was in Santa Monica, and there's a healthy bicycling community here. I think the emphasis here is much more recreational than, say, transportation. People bicycle for all kinds of reasons, for competition, for fitness, for recreation, for touring, and for transportation. Um, what I've observed so far here uh, on this trip is just a, a very significant recreational competitive cycling scene, in, in, certainly in Santa Monica. Yeah. Um, and, and as you're suggesting, Davis has a great bike culture in part because they've, the city government there has worked to proactively encourage bicycling. I mean, they have a significant advantage with a, a student population there uh, that are younger, fitter, right. and cash poor, so bicycling makes sense right. uh, for a lot of those people. But they've also created bike lanes, bike paths, bike parking facilities. They've, they've worked to encourage bicycling as a transportation mode. And as yeah. a result, they have the highest mode share for bicycle use in, in North America. Well, having lived in Davis for eight years, I can certainly relate to, to the fact that it is easy to get around thanks to all the bike lanes and, and, and the thought that went into that. I mean, California is very fortunate. I mean, there's a very sizable cycling community in the state, and, and California has been very influential um, across the country. The mountain bike originated in California, and events like Critical Mass or Safe Routes to School, um, a number of bicycling innovations have started here in California and then proliferated across the country and across the world. Because of our climate, because of our um, emphasis on active, healthy living, sure. bicycling has been a very attractive thing. And I, I think it's going to continue to be so, especially as the boomer generation ages, and that jogging activity tends to put more stress on yeah. knees and muscles yeah. and stuff. Harden the but joints. Bicycling is a good aerobic activity that doesn't uh, put the stress on certain joints and, and other body yeah. parts. Well, we're, we're with you. We hope you can uh, you can keep us up to date on this because I know this is a subject that people in Davis can, like I say, certainly can can support. And and you know, you go to a place like China, you see the number of people are that are the huge volumes of humanity mm -hmm. that are being moved about on bicycles. It's like there's no reason not to do that here. There's not. I mean, in California, the majority of trips taken are under three miles. Sure. And a three mile trip is less than 20 minutes on a bike. Yeah. On you know, try backing your car out, navigating through traffic, sure. and parking, and then getting to your you know. Often it's faster to do it on a bike, and sure. I think the biggest obstacle that a lot of people face is just uh, concerns about safety, yeah. and that's what we're working on is, is trying to just improve accommodation on on our roads. All right, that was Paul Dorn, executive director for the California Bicycling Coalition. Paul, uh, thanks again, and we'll we'll talk to you uh, hopefully in a week or two. Okay, great, thanks, Doug. Let us now return to Hollywood, California. We talked at the top of the show about uh, about a movie we just saw, and we're going to talk about that and other things with our new Hollywood correspondent, Gail Murphy. Gail. Yeah. We're glad to have you back. Greetings from Tinseltown, babe. <laughs> we should remind our listeners you are a uh, 
the a Hollywood correspondent for the BBC. I am a Hollywood correspondent for BBC, a little AP radio, just a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and now Radio DVD Parallax. Diva for Ultimate DVD in Europe. So there you go. We want to take on an issue right away. We, we talked last week on this program to a, um, an up-and-coming, uh, aspiring starlet who appeared in the movie um, Anchorman. Uh, Darcy Donovan, lo- lovely gal, has a very small role. She looks great on the screen, helps perk up what is otherwise a rather dismal bit of celluloid. Or cellulite. <laughs> My question is, um, I was, I'm feeling misled by this movie. I mean, Ebert and Roper gave this film two thumbs up. Have, yeah. have, we, have we gotten to the point where, you know, a thumbs up means, you know, it's, it's, it's not horrible? What is, what is, what's going on? Well... I don't know what you mean when you put your thumb up. <laughs> you know, that's like anytime you put fingers up in the air about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Janet Jackson revealing her breast and either was she flashing? Uh-huh. Or did she actually have a wardrobe malfunction? Uh, she was actually... This is a subjective subject here. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a wardrobe malfunction. Well, okay. All right. Nor do I. Nor do I. But see, this gets into the into exactly right. my entire well, point. One man's meat is another man's one poison. One man's thumb is another man's middle finger. <laughs> well, I okay. I mean, can we agree? I We do have to agree on Obviously, that. Obviously, we have to. We this have is to. your argument. We have to. Mm-hmm. In the old days, if Roger Ebert gave a movie a thumbs up, it was a good movie. And I've seen some movies lately where Roger Ebert gave it a thumbs up, and it's not such a good movie. And to me, Hollywood has been in decline for some time. That's my take on it. I guess I'm answering my own question, aren't I? If if Roger has only mediocre films to choose from, he's got to give those thumbs up. Bingo, bingo. I mean, you you know, you're living in a a fool's paradise. I mean, you... (laughs) Yes, I am. Unfortunately, you tend to think that um, with the exclusion of independent films, Uh you know, or European films, that the, the, you know, the land of Hollywood, for the most part, you know, and we're getting away from people like Alan Ball and, and Night Shyamalan and some of the really wonderful, new, fantastic director, writers who are really just holding on to their product for dear life and not letting anybody touch their babies. And this, you know, it still holds through for, you know, the Scott brothers and, and, and a couple of other people. But for the most part, I mean, the movie studios are in the movie business, yes. Uh-huh. But they're in the in the theme park business as well. Yeah, I get- and, and that's a consideration you need to, you know, throw into your equation here because it's uh, it's mass marketing, it's cross marketing, it's affiliate marketing, it's marketing marketing and it's well, I, I guess with the, with the media concentration we have, I guess if you if you're like Viacom, you think, well, okay, we make a movie here. What, what's where's the ride in this? Where's the ride? Where's the t-shirt? Where's the sneakers? Where's the bag? Where's the sunglasses? Where's the uh, king chili cheese with extra sauce? Yeah. Where's the soda pop? Where's the lottery? Where's the sweepstakes? I'm boring myself right now. Well, I guess I guess as someone has been has been said for years, it's it's not show art, it's show it's business. Show business. Yeah. Exactly. With the consolidation yeah. of business in yeah. America across the board, I mean, that's what's really dominating the headlines these days. Um, uh, was it Universal that just bought NBC or NBC that bought Universal? Or I lose track. AOL and all I know Warner is everybody's, all, all, the, all the whales are swallowing the minnows. Let, let's talk about what you do. I mean, Hollywood is a part of all of our lives. Certainly the cinema is, movies are, and, and people are clamoring down there. People like Darcy go down there, and they have, they have aspirations to be a star. Some of them make it. Most of them don't. Um, they're trying to, like, uh, 
sell themselves, and, and you, you assist people in doing that. I do, I T do. Talk I'm, about that. I'm the author of a book called uh, Interview Tactics, How to Survive the Media Without Getting Clobbered, mm -hmm. The Insider's Guide to Giving a Killer Interview. I originally wrote this book not because of any, for any sort of, you know, noble artistic kind of uh, deal. 14,000 interviews later, I just decided I need to make it easier on myself. Wait, wait, wait. You really done 14,000 interviews? Yeah. Wow. 14,000 interviews later, I decided to jump across the table to the other side of the table. Basically, I'm sleeping with the enemy. Okay. And I teach people how to tell it to sell it. Now, right. when I originally wrote my book... I wrote it actually for people in show business. Right. But with the extension of the Hollywood brand uh -huh. and the fact that there is so much niche programming and reality programming and everybody's interested in everything that's going on, you know, in, in reality, quote, end quote, the fact is, is that your brain, when it hears, it doesn't know the difference as to whether the information's coming in on television or someone has told it to you. And we were talking about this earlier, the most endangered thing in our culture right now is not the spotted owl, but is in fact our attention span. Now, how long does a person have? In, in American society, we want to pitch, you know, radio parallax. And uh, how much time before someone's eyes, I mean, how much, how much time do you figure the average person will listen? On a cold call, about three seconds. <laughs> the fact is, is if you can't tell it, you can't sell it. Okay. You know, and you have to start somewhere. You absolutely have to start somewhere. Um, well, you and I talked a long time ago when Al Franken was going to appear down in UC Berkeley, and we were going to go down and try and talk to Mr. Franken about his future career, which he's now realizing in Air America. And you told me that you should have an elevator speech. Mm -hmm. well, tell our audience what that is. Well, your elevator speech is basically there's someone that you've always been really, really uh, looking forward to pitching your idea, product, or service that's absolutely going to change the world. You know, let's say in your case, it's Steven Spielberg. Right. Or anyone, you know, anyone you our know in your heart of hearts that if Steven Spielberg were to know exactly what you were selling, uh -huh. that he would sign you to a $10 million deal and you would have absolutely everything you want. Okay. okay? Aspiring so filmmakers, take note. Absolutely. So, okay. you know, Steven Spielberg is your guy. He's your target. He's who you want to talk to because he's going to love what you do. So you're in downtown, wherever you are, and you go to get an elevator, and gosh darn it, that elevator door opens, and who's standing there with Steven Spielberg? And you guys are going up 12 floors together. Floor a second. All right, that's 12 seconds. Here you are alone with the guy. Hi, yeah. Mr. Spielberg. I'm Doug. Yeah, I've got this great, you know, you have got to have something that you can pull out at any second, at any time that says, this is who I am and this is what I do. I, what I do is I say, hi, I'm Gail Murphy. I've written a book called How to Survive the Media Without Getting Clobbered. And you go, what? Because clobbered is such a great word. It is a good word. It's a great word. Uh, suddenly I've, you know, disconnected you from the din for like a <laughs> nanosecond. <laughs> clobbered? Clobbered? What, what, what? Well, then I say to you, well, uh, if you can't tell it, you can't sell it. Right. What do you mean? Well, if you can't tell your own story, who can and who will? Not me, because I'm too busy. Now, we've gone now three times around. Once I can get you in this... A volley at least three times what I've done is I've ripped you away from the comfort zone of the matrix uh -huh. of being unconscious in the uh -huh. media din uh -huh. now in maybe, your own head maybe we can actually have a conversation yeah and you can say well wait a second wait I don't understand who you know, you have a book how to survive it well yes that's right now my name is Gail Murphy I'm an entertainment reporter and a Hollywood correspondent and I you know interview celebrities and newsmakers for a living and I've written this book to teach people how to survive people like me yeah and they go wow and at that point I give them my card 
And for our listeners, where should they go on the web if they want to know more about this? You have I'm a website, so right? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Uh, it's interviewtactics.com. Okay. I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W, tactics, T-A-T-T-I-C-S.com. And please come to my website, which is gailmurphy.com, G-A-Y-L-M-U-R-P-H-Y. GailMurphy.com. And you have some of your interviews on there, do you not? I do. Okay. I do. I also have a an entertainment uh, webpage that's um, updated twice a month with some of my inter- data versions of some of my interviews. And uh, they're both really fun sites. All right. And, um, did you ever interview Marlon Brando? Uh, no, I did not. Too I wish bad. I had. As a matter of fact, up until yesterday, I was convinced that I had, but it, it turns out I was not. Oh. <laughs> well. I not. Now, of course, that the passing of uh, he's. I guess people in Hollywood are talking about the passing oh. of a giant. Can you say a few words for us about sad uh, day and sad day in Hollywood land at oh. the passing of uh, Mr. Brando? This was a guy who had completely revolutionized uh, acting as we know it. Yeah. Up until up until the day he stepped on the stage on Broadway for Streetcar, everything changed. And what's really funny, Doug, is a lot of people don't know this. When he first appeared on Broadway in Streetcar, when he first got on the stage, his approach was so completely different and mm-hmm. so subtle mm-hmm. and so unconventional that there was a stir in the audience saying, is that a stagehand just walked on the stage? Right. You know, who is this guy? We're, we're waiting for an actor, some actor right. to be Stanley Kowalski, and there you go, that was him. Right, he was he, the antithesis of sort of the John Lovitz acting. Yes, thespianic <laughs> acting. Yeah. Yes. The thing that I was thinking about this afterwards, the passing of Brando, what what really bummed me out about him was that when they made Godfather Part Two, they make Brando is like on the skids, or he's he's not he's sort of at the peak of he's lost the peak of his star power. Mm-hmm. Coppola puts him in this movie that we all regard as just this astounding piece of cinema. I mean, they're still doing, the Sopranos are still aping, you know, what they did in the original Godfather. Yes, that's true. I agree. And, and, uh, and yet, when he, when he, he actually able to, made a second movie, Godfather Part Two, that unbelievably is as good as the first. And yet, there was a chance for, for, uh, for Brando to come back and make a small appearance in Part Two. And the movie, in fact, ends with a reminiscent where he's come to the door, but the scene takes place off camera. You don't see him because Brando wouldn't agree to come in part two. And I always thought, that's a great tragedy. But why couldn't he have just done that? Well, what, what, what's the story? What do they say? Why? Money. What do you mean? He, he wanted too much money. He wanted a lot of money for his very short appearance. Oh, 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 oh. Did he not deserve it? Well, I, I don't know. Oh, please. Oh, get over it. I well, mean, what? what you... he, I thought he wanted a couple, several million dollars for like a few minutes on film. Oh, give him whatever he wants. Well, oh, come on. If you can give Pamela Anderson whatever she wants, you can give Marlon Brando whatever he wants. Well, I guess that does put it in perspective, doesn't it? Oh, get over it. <laughs> well, I still thought it was a shame. Oh, give him a trailer, give him a helicopter, give him whatever he wants. He's Marlon freaking Brando. You know, I, what always amazed me, Brando, how he would turn up in the oddest places. You'd go to Tahiti, and they would mention, you know, in, in, in Tahiti that, yeah, well, a few miles away, Brando owns the island. He owns an atoll, yeah. Yeah, you'd be talking to people in, like, you know, in the, the ham radio community, and they'd say, oh, yeah, every so often, you know, Marlon Brando will get on the ham radio from his island in Tahiti, and he'll, you'll be able to, like, you know, add him to your list. Mm-hmm. And I thought, he was just so out there. He was so unusual, or seemingly so. Well, you know, Hollywood is such an unreal place yeah. that what happens is, uh, if you just happen to be kind of just kind of a sort of nerdy part of your personality... 
uh, it becomes unacceptable because you're supposed to be on the cutting edge of everything when in fact, you know, you can still act and still make a living out of acting, but still be, you know, enthused by Stephen Hawkins or right. ham radios or whatever it is that you want. You're not and being you're considered an oddball. Yeah. I remember doing an interview with Bob Dylan. I I actually, you know, spent a a good deal of a day with him, and he was probably the single most childlike person I had ever met. How do you mean? Well, first of all, my expectation Uh of him far superseded him or could have superseded anyone because he was so influential in molding my, um, you know, opinions and thoughts and feelings about music and that time. He's a pop icon. But he's he's a guy who lives, you know, a life that's, you know, like a traveling salesman. How do you mean? Well, a different city, different day, not necessarily surrounded by his intellectual peers consistently. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's it's a lonely life on the road. Mm-hmm. Sure, you, you know, you get moved around a lot, but these are not necessarily people that you in your normal everyday life would seek out. What do you do? You, you know, maybe watch a soap opera or two. Bob Dylan's sitting in a hotel room no, watching no, Days no. of what Our I'm Lives? No, no, no. What I'm saying is he was far more interested in me. Oh. And 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 my life and what I did on TV and okay. he thought it was so intriguing that I had that I did a talk show mm-hmm. on the radio and uh, he was just you know I walked in I had some spunk I had some spirit and you know whoa <laughs> this is an interesting person you found him to be a rather complex person I found him to be complex but very simplistic at the same time That's very it. much in the now very much in the now I was so impressed by him and very childlike in a way. Innocent in a way. The, sort of the opposite of sophisticated, you're saying? Possibly. Well, Gail, it's interesting as always. We need to have you come back and talk about your what you did as a talk show and, and other things. Wonderful. So, okay, Gail, before you go, your website again was? www.interviewtactics.com and gailmurphy.com, G-A-Y-L-M-U-R-P-H-Y. And, and any, any particular interviews you like to send people to for their own interest? Oh, no, they're all fabulous. <laughs> all Get right. out of here. One's not better than the other. So they're all great. It's me. I did them. All right. When you come back in the future, I want to talk about your interview with Madonna that, that never quite happened. But oh, that, no, that's... no, no. There is one thing. There is one thing. And I know you're going to love this. Yeah. I had a chance to talk to Robert Redford about a week ago. And? Yeah. And we talked about his reaction to a Michael Moore's movie. Oh, well, what did what did, what did Robert Redford? You'll have to go to the website and click on Entertainment News all right, at well, the top of the page. Damn you. All right. Well, we'll have to do that. Gail, thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, we, we enjoyed our talk with Gail and hope that she'll return on a regular basis. Uh, Christy Canyon, of course, has returned several times, and we're looking forward to more of that. And uh, as for Paul Dorn, he'll be back, too. My mom, I'm not sure about But, you know, Mom, you're welcome back anytime as well. This has been Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock. Stay tuned for Todd.